Welcome to the Blue Jeans Christian Weekly Podcast, where we will take your faith and the powerful Word of God and make them as practical and relevant to your job, home, and hobbies as your favorite pair of blue jeans are on a Saturday. I'm Kevin Brownlee, and this episode's being recorded in our RV in Moab, Utah. In fact, as I look past my monitor and microphone, I can see some of the most beautiful creation that God has. It's sure interesting here. I think he spent a little extra time here in this Utah area. And I just love it here. The mountain biking trails are incredible. And the views are stunning. And the Jeep trails are challenging, but also super fun. And this Sunday, I get to preach at Community Church here in Moab, and I'm really looking forward to that. Which reminds me, if your pastor needs to take a break, I have some wonderful sermons I can fill in for him. So contact me through my website, bluejeanschristian.com, and we'll see if we could work something out like that. Once we got set up here, and Bunny, is, my wife, is working in her little part of the RV, and I'm at the other end. And we got her all set up, and she realized that her keyboard and mouse weren't working. She has a docking station for a computer and dual monitors, so it's all set up real nice. But those two weren't working, so we checked the batteries, and then I found out that there's this little USB dongle thing that you plug into the docking station that runs the keyboard and mouse. It wasn't there. We didn't have it. And you need it. I mean, you've got this huge keyboard, comparatively, and mouse, all run by this little tiny USB thing. No bigger than your fingernail. (laughs) And we didn't have it. There's got to be some sort of a moral to the story or analogy there somehow about paying attention to the little things. Because the big things don't work if you don't have the little things in place. And there is a wonderful, practical analogy here, something that's useful that we can take from the Bible and apply it to your life. One little word that has such a huge impact and actually runs the things in your life. It's the word rejoice. Rejoice. It's one of my favorite words. Well, after the word forgiven, anyway. (laughs) And it should be a word in an attitude foremost in every Christian's mind. The word rejoice, joy, glad, or cheerful is found in over 440 passages in the Bible. Here are just a few. Deuteronomy 12.12 And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your sons and your daughters. Deuteronomy 26.11 So you shall rejoice in every good thing which the Lord your God has given to you and your house. Psalm 5.11 But let all those rejoice who put their trust in you, Lord. Let them ever shout for joy, because you defend them. Let those also who love your name be joyful in you. Psalm 9.2 I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. Psalm 118.24 
This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Matthew 5.12 Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Matthew 28.9 And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice! So they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. John 16.22 Therefore you now have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one will take from you. Romans 5.2 Through whom also we have access by faith into his grace in which we stand, and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Philippians 1.18 What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretenses or in truth, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. Philippians 4.4 Rejoiced in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. 1 Thessalonians 5.16 Rejoice always. 1 Peter 4.13 But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. And this last one, which is near the end of the Bible, Revelation 19.7 Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. The Hebrew word for rejoice, which is mostly in the Old Testament, is the word samach. It's a primitive root, probably to means to brighten up, that is, figuratively, to cause or make gleesome, to cheer up, to make glad, to make joy, to make merry, or to rejoice. And the Greek word, mostly in the New Testament, is kahiro. And it means to be full of cheer. That is, to be calmly happy or well off. Especially when used as a salutation. It means to be well, to be glad. Go with God's speed. It's some sort of a greeting. Hail. Joy. Rejoice. <laughs> In almost all of the passages containing the word rejoice or joy, we are commanded to do it. So ask yourself, how am I doing with that command? Rejoice is a verb. It's an action word. It is something that takes effort to do. It does, however, become a habit if you work at it. It takes mental discipline to be joyful always. Sometimes you have to mentally tell your emotions to shut up and be joyful, at least on the outside. <laughs> you need to have a frame of mind that you will not allow any event or circumstance to change the joy that you have. Sometimes being joyful is easy, and sometimes it's hard. Can I get an amen? <laughs> The command is to be joyful always, the Bible says. I think that being joyful always is an attribute of a mature Christian, or at least an attainable goal. 
Is there joy in your life always? Or are you on a joy, sad, happy, worried, cheerful, scared, roller coaster ride? How mature of a Christian do people perceive you are? Do they see you on that roller coaster? Or do they see you as even keel, somebody who's not easily rattled, kind of like a boat at anchor, even though there's a storm going on in the sea, it hangs tight and hangs to God. Nowhere in the Bible are we told we will have an easy life. And that is for a reason. It's so we can rely on God. It teaches us to have faith. And it teaches us to have hope. and gives us an opportunity to prove both of those. See, faith and hope go hand in hand. And in the book of Hebrews, it says that it's impossible to please God without faith. So it gives us an opportunity to please God. And it gives us an opportunity to have our faith proven so that we know we have faith, as well as God. And it also gives us an opportunity to be more like Jesus. We tend to be lazy and want life to be easy. Our prayers always seem to say something like, Lord, please help me to do well today. Please help things to go well today. Please help today to be an easy day. And those are okay to pray for, but we should really be praying more for wisdom, for strength, for courage, maybe even patience and obedience. James 1 tells us we will have trials and hardships, but the purpose for them is to grow us in Him, to be mature spiritually. Praying for easiness is like praying for God not to use us and for God not to make us more like Christ, which is the opposite of what's actually required of us. Let me just read James 1, verses 2 through 4. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. And then let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. That's a hard verse to grasp, isn't it? But it is because God loves us and wants us to grow and mature in Him and to be more like Christ. And doing so means we have to go through some trials. The words trial and trail are very similar words, aren't they? I mean, there's just a couple letters that you can switch around there, but they're very similar words. I kind of like to think that trials are like hiking on a trail. Yeah, there's some steep parts that are pretty rough, but usually when you hike a trail, you're hiking to get somewhere or to see something like a waterfall or your car. <laughs> because what's on the other side of that trail is some wonderful things that we will have learned, hopefully. <laughs> things like patience, trusting in God. We'll learn that God really actually does love us. We'll also learn God's sovereignty, that He is in control of everything. 
And we should have learned how strong our faith is. And we'll learn that Romans 8.28 is a very real verse and can trust God to do what's in that verse, which says that my God will cause all things to work together for good to those who love him and are working hard at doing his purpose in our life. There are numerous passages, in addition to what I just read in James, where we are told to pray for strength, courage, wisdom, etc. And there are numerous passages that say that God will take care of us, will meet our needs, and fulfill his good work in us. Matthew 6.25 comes to mind, where Jesus said four times in one paragraph not to worry. Yet we still do, don't we? Four times in one paragraph, Jesus said, stop worrying. He actually said, stop it, because he knows we will. He says there's no need to when you trust him and when you really know him. Here are a couple more. Philippians 1.6, being confident in this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And how about Jeremiah 29.11? We see this in cards we get for like graduation or when we got a new job or something. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. I love that verse for two reasons. One is, it really shows that God is in control if you let him, and it's always for a good outcome. And the other thing is, in the context of that passage, Jeremiah's talking to the Israelites, so maybe it doesn't really apply to us if we're not Jewish, but it does. Because in 2 Timothy 3.16, Paul says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And so passages like that, passages like that, what's a passage? <laughs> Sorry, evidently Sean Connery just showed up. Passages like that are... <laughs> well, I'm sure you get my point. These passages in Scripture give us hope and also cause for rejoicing, and reason to rejoice. See, we live in a fallen world that is under the control of Satan, so it's easy to not be joyful because he doesn't want us to be joyful. We have every reason to not have joy in this world if our mind is on the worldly things, our job is stressful, our boss is no fun to work for, our pay is not enough, business is down, we don't get what we wish for, Someone dear to us is terminally ill, or we've lost a loved one. It's hard to get up in the morning. Our coffee's cold, and our taxes are too high, and our government has problems, and our leaders are, well, I'll let you fill in that blank. And our debt is great, and our mortgage is high. People let us down. Someone gossips wrongly about us. There is sin all around us, and maybe in us. But guess what? Jesus has overcome the world, 
And that is why we are to be joyful. John 16.33 says, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation or troubles. But be of good cheer. Rejoice. I have overcome the world. Look to me. Be like me, Jesus is saying there. In John 15, Jesus tells us he is the vine and we are the branches and commands us to be fruitful in verses 1 through 10. And he does so by saying that we're to abide in him. Then he ends this passage in verse 11 with these words. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. Very interesting that he tells us how to have joy, and that we can have full joy. Like a branch is attached to the vine, we only get that when we're connected or attached to Jesus. John MacArthur says this in his sermon called Rejoice Always. What motivates us to obey the command to rejoice always? It's an intermediate response to the character of God. Nehemiah 8.10 says, For the joy of the Lord is your strength. What strengthens me in the midst of difficulty and trial is the joy I find in the rock of my God. It is my theology proper to be technical. It is my knowledge of who God is as creator and sustainer of the universe, as sovereign over everything, as the lover of my soul, the redeemer of my life, and the gracious God as the wise God. See, we kind of mix up joy and happiness as being the same thing, and they're not. They're different. Joy is that underlying hope and satisfaction and peace because we're connected to Jesus. Happiness can come and go. You know, I can be happy when the Broncos win. I can be somewhat sorrowful and sad when they don't, which they don't win a lot lately. (laughs) But I still have joy, a joy in life. I can be happy if I win something. And I can be sad if I don't win something. But I can still go home and be joyous. It is my understanding of the nature and character of God that anchors my joy. It's like we're on a boat that's tossed around on the stormy seas of this world. But our boat is at anchor. Yeah, our boat kind of bops around a bit. Blows and swishes back and forth. But we're at anchor to God, and we don't have to worry about sailing away or something bad happening that is out of his control. See, God is too wise to ever make a mistake. God is too loving to be unkind to his children, assuming you're one of his children. God is too gracious not to overlook my sin God is too merciful to allow me to be devastated. God is my protector. God is more powerful than Satan. God is more powerful than demons. God overrules 
all circumstances. And I, and hopefully you, belong to that God. He is my God, and my joy is anchored in my God. How cool is that? See, many Christians struggle with joy in their life because they do not understand God the way He is and is revealed to us in Scripture. And folks, that's tragic. What motivates Christians to be joyful always is their understanding of God and His sovereign love and His infinite wisdom and grace. When Jesus first appeared to His disciples after His resurrection, His first word was, Rejoice! In fact, it was in Greek, I think, that He said that, which was Cairo. Matthew 28, 9 says that. And from that, the disciples and the Christians in the early church greeted each other, not by saying, Hello, or How's it going, or Sup, but by saying, Cairo, Rejoice! Wouldn't it be cool if we greeted other Christians today that same way? Not, Hey, bro, but, Cairo! <laughs> They were motivated to rejoice in appreciation of the work of Jesus Christ. And that's one way of reminding each other. How about making that a part of our motivation to be joyful always, too? So rejoice. Be joyful. Be cheerful. Yeah, it's okay to be sad sometimes, but remember, happiness and sadness go up and down. But being joyful remains steady. There's this underlying joy in your life. And as the upcoming holidays approach, which is usually the more joyous time of year, show everybody that joy. But don't have it end on December 26th. Be that way all through the whole year. Make sure the joy is in your heart and comes from your inside so that others will see that because it'll come right out. So let your joy be evident to all, and you'll be surprised at how life improves when you're trying hard to show people your joy that you do have. It's down in there somewhere. Dig it out and show people and have it become a part of you. I sure hope this episode has been helpful to you. I know it will change your life, so work on that, would you? Next week, I'm real excited about the next episode because it's going to be about the next coming holiday, Thanksgiving, and how you can thoroughly and wonderfully enjoy that holiday and be a joy to others, too. So join me next time. Next Tuesday is when it comes out. I guarantee you'll be thankful you listened. See you next time.